Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, as always, and um, I'm trying to get my mic here adjusted for the long recording. Yeah, so another installment as we are just plowing through this series. I am just, I'm so excited with how this seems to have uh, unfolded in time and I am blessed to have all of you with me as we are unpacking all of these different things. Uh, You know when I first set out to make this series um, I I had some ideas in mind um, when we went through you know the, the kind of overall theme and then it's really kind of started to develop on its own, you know, as creating it into phases with, you know, focusing on death, heaven and hell as, as a phase. And then the next one was around the four views on, you know, what do Christians believe in the end of times? And then, uh, you know, that kind of developed into this mindset of, you know, before we can really see and understand and like truly appreciate the Christian worldview on eschatology, it probably pays good mind to understand what does the rest of the world uh, view. And that, you know, more or less is in um, some of the pagan views, which we covered last week. And this week we're going to look at a couple major religions um, and uh, what they view in eschatology. Now, obviously, uh, the atheist is easily summed up. They don't believe in God. They don't believe anything. They uh, Once you die, you're dead. They don't have an end, end of the world thing or you know they're probably going to be uh, more or less to the scientific measure to where the sun's going to expand and consume the earth or the sun will die out and earth will essentially freeze due to no heat um they view that you know many many years billions of years in the future so um that's about you know in a nutshell the atheist understanding but not looking at them because 
you know, while you can class them as being, you know, a faith-believing position, I wouldn't really say much more than that in regards to anything else. And uh, so in this episode, we are going to break down uh, some views on Islam. We're going to look at Hinduism briefly and, and Buddhism. So as we go through this, uh, just... A few things to clarify, and then we're going to do our traditional housekeeping tips and tricks and stuff, uh, and then we'll get into the episode. Um, mind you, these are very simplistic views of their end of times. This is not a deep dive into their um, belief systems. This is not a dive into what they teach. Uh, this is not an understanding of their worldviews. Obviously, Islam has a lot of negative connotations because of ISIS, um, and there's a lot of uh, there's a deep divide between Islam and the rest of the world. Uh, there are um, some things in that bucket that uh, drive that force. We are not going to touch any of that on this episode. I am simply looking at what do they view in the end of times. Uh, I will touch base a little bit on ISIS. I found a good article um, because it portrays the reasons behind some of their radicalness and how they are pushing towards their eschatological understanding. So we will touch base just a little bit there. Outside of that, we are not going to get into much of their core beliefs. Um, that's not what this obviously series is about. And the same thing goes with the the Hindus and the Buddhists. We're not going to dive into their the complexity of what they believe because they are such vast um, religions. Now, I do recommend for especially like the Eastern religions, um, uh, there are a number of books out there that have been inspirational and very helpful, um, such as uh, uh, Nabel uh, Karashi, I believe is his last name. Um, he wrote Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, The Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. Uh, he went to work with Ravi Zacharias after uh, he became a Christian. Uh, and then, unfortunately, a few short years later, passed away due to cancer. Uh, an amazing man, a lover of Christ, and uh, a great book. Um, but devout Muslim and comes across Christianity and just could not uh, resist the pull of Christ on him. So... You know, leaves a false religion for the true religion of Christianity. And uh, he explains a lot in his book. So a good resource to understanding the Muslim faith from a Christian worldview is there. Uh, also, there are many other books by many other authors that uh, look into these views. And Ravi writes, you know, a lot on Eastern religion and spirituality as well. Um, what we would understand today is the New Age movement uh, comes heavily out of Eastern practice. So uh, the, the New Age movement that we see spreading like wildfire within some of the Christian circles and within um, much of the, um, uh, you know, America is being pushed by Eastern mysticism and things like that. So Doreen Virtue has a lot of good information on that and how to kind of pick up on it. Uh, so there's a lot of good resources. Again, this episode is not necessarily dealing with those points. We are strictly keeping to how do they view and understand the end of the world, end of times, 
end of the age, things like that from their religious perspective. Uh, I will try to be, as always, as non-biased, non-judgmental as possible because I am simply relaying information uh, in hopes to educate you, the listener, in how these systems are really constructed and how they build up and build upon themselves. And then we will look at the Christian worldviews uh, as we move further into the series, obviously. And then we can kind of look back and, you know, compare those notes. Obviously, you know, I am a Christian. I follow Christ. And so I believe that the Christian worldview is obviously the only right one, um, but that uh, will not hinder me from uh, portraying these in an unbiased manner. Um, and I hope you guys have kind of seen that as we unpack the, the, the four views that Christians hold and uh, and went through the pagan episode as well. So just a couple of tips, as I mentioned, um, on the A-Mill episode and uh, on the pagan episode, merchandise is full, fully available now. Uh, so if you want to get your hands on some shirts, please check out the link in my bio. If you're interested in supporting this ministry, because it does cost me some money each week and each month to host these episodes, that would be greatly appreciated. And I do um, I do a lot, I think, in my <laughs> at least uh, I, I try to do as much as possible in regards to giving back. Um, currently, while well, by the time this airs, uh, which will be the second week of October, I will have given away to my patrons exclusively um, a stack of uh, systematics by Charles Hodge. Um, actually, uh, Courtney from uh, a lot of Thoughts podcast uh, won that, and uh, she did a video a, a couple weeks ago on um, on her, you know on her take of those. She absolutely loves them. I thought they were fantastic. I wanted to give them away, so I did. She won. That's amazing. And uh, and then, uh, as I record this, I haven't selected a winner yet, but I have another stack of books, including a Charles Spurgeon uh, study Bible that I am giving away to my patrons. And then on top of that, I am inviting one lucky patron to join me to at G3, and they will uh, win a ticket. So it's not too late for that one, uh, as this is only the second week in October when this airs. That drawing will be at the end of October um, when I buy the tickets. So I want to invite a listener slash patron to come to G3 with me, and I will pay for their admission ticket. So that, I think, is a tremendous blessing, and that'll be that'll conclude my giveaways for the year because it's uh, those get a bit pricey. Those G3 tickets are not cheap, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that for those who support this ministry, um, I do everything I can to give back into um, into that. So most of what I'm going to do, you know, obviously Bible studies, um, the chat group that we have on Instagram has become a very close-knit family. Much um, love is shared and, and prayers and just, you know, being able to op- being open and uh, honest with everybody uh, is, is inspirational to our walks with, with Christ. So that, I think, has been um, especially influential on a lot of those who have joined this group. And uh, I get a lot of feedback from them that they love that. That's, that and the Bible studies are their two biggest things they enjoy with us. So um, that, I mean, you get uh, an insight to all the back behind-the-scenes work that I do. You'll see, if I write uh, show notes, you'll get to see those show notes. If uh, I do school work and stuff that's printed, you'll see that. 
Uh, you get uh, links to all my sermons long in advance before they ever go live. Uh, so all of that kind of stuff comes uh, much in advance before I even make anything public, if I do. So they get the exclusive look. But that is the um, perks of the patron groups. Uh, so without further ado, obviously, um, well, yeah, one more further ado. I don't even know how that works, actually. Um, last bit on the house cleaning is logos. Get yourself a copy. Um, madly in love with it it has been super influential to me and my walk and in, in all facets it's not just a pastoral piece or ministry piece you know or for people who serve in the church it's for anybody it's for you know the the stay-at-home moms and uh, homeschooling moms um, those uh, people who are just looking to expand their understanding of um, the bible uh, it's a great tool to help teach um you know, kids, your spouse, your friends. It's great for Bible studies, you know, within the church and with your community and in your house. Logos is um, endless with their possibility and what they can do for your life and how much it'll change. So highly recommend it. Un, uh, logos.com forward slash undying light. Go give it a check and uh, you will not be disappointed, I promise. So, as we uh, dig into this series, this show, um, like I said, I really wanted to bring about this understanding of the views of these other religions. Um, and, and I wanted to do it from this perspective that there is something more, right? There's something greater out there that, um, than just the pagans and, and that. And by greater, I don't mean in like significance, but I want to mean you know I want to really make sure that we cover all of our bases. the The view is, I guess, greater, right? There's much more out there in the realm of the eschatology understanding. What does uh, the pagans believe? You know, those who wouldn't be a part of the major world religions, more a cultural understanding. Um, and and then it, I think it would be unfair to just show that and not show world religions. Um, so I wanted to take this time to talk about at least three of the bigger ones, and that's Islam, Buddhists, and uh, Hindus. Um, and like I said in the beginning of the show, this is not an exhaustive look. This is just something to whet your appetite, to show you the similarities and the really complex um behind the scenes behind these these are these there's some depth to these so um i if if this interests you beyond this episode you know i recommend going and doing a little more research and possibly grabbing a few books or two but uh i i hope that you know once we get into the christian side of the scripture and understanding that that will spout you spurn you a little bit more to dig into that personally obviously because i don't think you're listening to this as a muslim you're probably listening to this podcast as a christian so that's my view of it so uh as we uh as we dig into this we are going to start with islam uh and just a few things as we look this is not a complete or exhaustive breakdown uh of their eschatology it is seemingly impossible for us to put together 
a coherent view due to the vast array of information that comes. So uh, we will really try to focus more or less on uh, the Prophet Muhammad around his time frame and uh, and kind of go from there. Now, uh, I'm not an apologist to, uh, to Islam. I, I don't have a, you know, a great deep understanding other than what I've prepared in terms of show notes for this episode. So I can't tell you all of the finer details, but I do know that, you know, well into, I believe, the 6th or 7th century, um, Muhammad comes along and makes these radical accusations that, you know, he's sent by God. Uh, He's the new prophet. He has a new revelation, uh, and he writes a bunch of stuff. But um, just from some basic understanding of him and his life, he was a very violent man. Uh, he had, you know, I'm pretty sure he had in the hundreds in regards to wives and concubines. So re- if you compare his life to, like, a biblical context, uh, he was very radical. Um, obviously not what the Christian worldview would call, you know, a follower of Christ. Obviously, in the Christian view, those who repent of their sin and follow Jesus are would be essentially considered saved, um, whereas we don't have the desire to pursue sinful desires of the lust, uh, of lust of the flesh, such as lust. Um, we don't obviously murder or become violent people. Uh, and Muhammad, in just these two instances, is, uh, yeah, that's kind of his repertoire. So regardless of that, um, Christians believe that this is a false religion, and um, we see a lot of um, early church fathers preach against this and basically call it heresy uh, before it kind of gains a foothold um, in the uh, Middle East and then has grown into, uh, pretty sure it's the second largest religion in the world now. I'm not going to look up statistics, but I'm pretty. It's up there. It's either second or third. Uh, Christianity still holds number one, um, and I'm pretty. And I'm pretty sure Islam is number two. So, if you decide to Google that and actually tell me I'm wrong, please do. But I'm fairly certain it's it's obviously I know below Christianity, but it's a growing uh, rapidly, and uh, and and really more or less than not, it's a quite um, growing in a radical way too. So. Without getting into all that, as I've said, that's a rabbit hole I'm not getting into. What we do want to look at is just some of these facets for how they comprehend the end of times. So uh, before we really dig into this, um, we have to understand that the issue of uh, eschatology resides in our mutual understandings uh, between Christians and Muslims, as we were reminded that judgment is the prerogative of God. Now, Muhammad, uh, what we have to understand too, is uh, writes the Quran off of the Old Testament. Uh, he accounts Jesus as not the Son of God, but as another prophet. Uh, so he sees Jesus as important, but he doesn't recognize him to be the Son of God. But he does use the Old Testament at, um, in his writings. So that's an interesting, you know, view to take. So we do have some um, similarities. Now, the 
I will say this straight up that the God, quote unquote, Allah or Allah, um, that the Muslims worship is not the same God of the Bible. And again, another rabbit, I wouldn't even call it a rabbit hole, but another distinction, not for the show, but to simply make the declaration, the two are not the same. We do not worship the same God. Muslims worship a completely different God, one of idolatry and one that has been created out of uh, selfish ambition, war, and uh, desires of the flesh. So I'll just lay that out flat. We do not worship the same God. However, in the writings, they will point to the biblical God as a, uh, as a essentially steal, you know, an understanding of uh, their version of God. So to understand this, um, and before we really dive into the crux of their views, um, we have to understand all religions around the world, whether they are small or great, have some sort of an end-of-the-view understanding. All religions, whether pagan or religious in nature, all have some sort of um, understanding that the world will end, whether it's the end of the world physically the end of the age, um, end of time, the universe, whatever it may be, uh, a rebirth even, as we will see in some of these religions, um, there is something that is driving people towards the end of. Uh, There's always something that they have to hold to or look forward to. Uh, And as we noted on the Pagan episode, um, we talked about how these are not necessarily views of the end of the world, but they are more uh, an understanding of the end of the age. So let's look at Islam. The Quran is their book. Um, That's what they view as their holy scripture. Uh, It reveals the ethical nature uh, rather than a philosophical essence of God. In this, the God is merciful, but yet a strict judge. He calls forth man's all and their obedience. Now, uh, the day of judgment in Surah chapter 1 is also known as the day of reckoning, also the day of separation. Uh, The Quran is mostly a book of promises and threats, focusing on man's reward or punishment on the last day. So, as as I've begun this research, a lot of similarities came out between uh, Christianity and uh, Islam in regards to the last days, and, and and as I said, I think you know those you know Muhammad who wrote the Quran um, and various other writings that have come out uh, really take in a lot of views from the Christian worldview. Uh, they might narrow it down, and we're going to see some of that as we kind of unpack some of their views. But what we are getting out of this is a lot of similarities between Islam and Christianity. Um, And what we'll dig into is how, you know, like their views of hell, punishment, things like that have a very close um, relationship. And as as already, what we see is uh, upon judgment is that man is either going to be rewarded or will be punished. And that's kind of what we see in Christianity is that at judgment, uh, man is either granted eternal life through um, repentance and uh, and following of Christ, or they face judgment for their rejection of Christ. And so uh, we already see some similarities there. But 
as I said, the Quran is mostly focusing on the promises and threats, um, their reward and punishment on the last days, um, and just some of the depictions of hell uh, and paradise are just frequent um, as we go through the the writings. And uh, I, I want to read a little bit um, of this, and I think this kind of helps to facilitate where we are uh, in regards to their understanding. So as we see in their writings, um, I'm just going to read some of the this text to you just to kind of help paint this picture a little bit. Um, the skepticism of those who deny the resurrection of the body is assailed in verses as the following in the Shura. Um, looks like chapter 82 and chapter 83. So here are these verses. Your cry lies to the doom, yet there are over you watchers, noble writers who know whatever you do. Surely the pious shall be in bliss, and the uh, libertines shall be in a fiery furnace, roasting therein on the day of doom, nor shall they ever be absent from it. Woe that day to those who cry lies to the day of doom, and none cry lies to it but every guilty aggressor. When the signs are recited to him, he says, fairy tales of the ancients. No, indeed, but there are, uh, but they were earning, has rusted upon their hearts. No, indeed, but upon the day that they shall be veiled from the Lord, that they shall roast in hell. Then they shall be said to him, this is that you cried lies to. So some tough vocabulary, some tough words here. To really swallow and you know if we read scripture we we see god's wrath right poured out upon the unrepentant we see you know when god flooded the world because he um became upset with the level of sin um, but we don't see really vocabulary used around to those who are unrepentant that they will simply just roast in hell uh, I don't think Muhammad really held back his distaste for uh, certain individuals in his life. And so um, we see a little bit, I don't want to call it quite vulgar, but we see a lot more harsh um, terminology used when, uh, when we read through the Quran. Uh, so at judgment, this becomes the essentially the spiritual climax for the individual, um, other wise known as like the pilgrimage of the soul from life to death now uh, this is coming out of the surah chapter 75 um, upon that this is a verse here upon that day faces shall be radiant gazing upon their lord so a quick note on that verse um gazing upon their lord uh, according to some muslim commentaries a proof on authority has come down affirming that believers have a vision of allah in the abode of the next world, he is seen not in a place or in a direction so far as being confronted, not by the conjunction or rays of light, nor by a certain defiant distance, definite distance between the one who sees and Allah. So, interesting perspective on some of these verses. Again, um, not a commentary, I'm not a, um, an apologist for it, so there's a lot uh, to these. Just trying to skim the high levels here and, and bring some of this, you know, to light. So, without the Quran, es, uh, eschatological dimensions still do exist. 
uh, within the Muslim faith, the conception of the resurrection uh, uh, and judgment follows by, uh, or are followed by a reward or the punishment. Uh, this is present from the very beginning of the faith, um, of the Muslim faith. But the fear of punishment does not seem to have uh, been the modem behind the Islamic religion. Uh, interestingly enough, the Quran really doesn't give explicit information in regards to uh, uh, intercession after death. Um, doesn't really state that God will actually do something, uh, just the, that uh, it'll happen if God wills it to. Uh, yet traditions are pretty confident that there will be something uh, that God will actually intercede. Uh, so in regards to the punishment aspect, another commentator writes that uh, his beliefs are hypocrites are slated to the lowest levels of hell because their faith, uh, because faith came to the hypocrite and they rejected it, um, that they knew that uh, the quote-unquote God, Allah, is reaching out to them, but they have uh, rejected them. And so uh, we start to see that imagery painted um, about hell, and it, 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 it's interesting how there's not, like, at least yet, uh, a lot of cohesive imagery. There's not, you know, uh, the consistency uh, in regards to the same message is played out over and over again. Uh, we see that with, as Christ talks about hell. Um, in the Gospels, he's taught it's always darkness, gnashing of teeth, uh, things like that. And so we, we get a... a consistency from Christ painted on what the unrepentant will experience from a Judeo-Christian perspective. So uh, as we as continue through this, uh, some of the imagery um, that uh, Islam is painting about the afterlife comes from the Hadith. Uh, we actually have here some extremely close similarities between biblical scripture uh, regarding the end of times and the afterlife. Um, so just some of the notes that I picked up here. It says uh, the smoke, the, the Dajjal, the beast, the rising of the sun in its place of setting, uh, the descent of Jesus, son of Mary, Gog and, and Magog, three subsidiaries, one in the east, one in the, one in the west, and one in Arabia, and at the end of which a fire will issue in Yemen and drive mankind to their place of assembly. So they kind of have this... Um, imagery of some of the things that will happen in the last days. Uh, and obviously what w the biggest issues or the biggest thing that we really want to look at is what issues drive towards the Islamic understanding of the end of times and then what happens at the end of times. That's really what we were trying to garner out of all this. So what we can pull is at the end of times man will be brought forth before Allah. They will be judged. They will either be rewarded or they will be punished. Um, there's some things in the writings that I discovered, and again, um, I did not take extensive time to dig into all of the scripture, um, but we see some imagery painted from commentaries and uh, other writings around hell. It appears to be fairly layered, kind of like um, Dante's Inferno. Each layer houses uh, a certain type of sin. Uh, and that kind of seems to be common in a lot of the world religions, um, each sin basically has its own eternal judgment for it. Um, but very similar in the aspect of Christianity that when you die, 
um, or when judgment comes at last at that, uh, you will be either you will be judged and either rewarded with eternal life or you will be um, to be sent to hell for your punishments for all eternity. Um, and ushering in what really is the cause of the end of times, because as we talked about in the four phases, uh, the kind of pointing towards what is uh, each of the four views looking towards to be kind of that pinpoint, what is going to take on the end of times. So uh, in some of this, a man will appear of the family of Muhammad. Uh, he will aid and the faith and make justice triumph. Muslims will follow him, and he will reign over the uh, Islamic kingdoms. So one of the things that really uh, has drawn me to want to talk about the the Islamic faith in this particular series is kind of what we've witnessed in current uh, times, the last 20 or so years, is the uh, rise of ISIS, this radical group. Obviously, there's a lot to uh, dig into in their aspects. Um, and again, I'm only going to do a high-level flyover of it. Um, but they hold to some very extreme um, interpretations of the uh, Muslim faith. So um, I pulled up an article just kind of outline what it is that they are after, what it is that they want to accomplish, because they want to usher in the, the end of times. It's, they think that they are charged with uh, basically kicking off this, this viewpoint. Um, so the Islamic State, also known as Islamic State of Iraq and al-Sham, ISIS, follows a distinctive variety of Islam whose beliefs about the path to the day of judgment matter to its strategy and can help the West know its enemy and predict its behavior. Its rise to power is less like triumph of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, a group whose leaders, like the Islamic State, considers apostates than like the uh, realization of the dystopian alternate reality in which David Koresh and Jim Jones survived to wield absolute power over not just a few hundred people, but some eight million. So there's these, there's a lot of these subnotes on like what their agenda is. Um, the Islamic State has its share of worldly concerns, including in the places it controls, collecting garbage and keeping the water running. But the end of days is a let uh, is is basically its forefront for propaganda. And their accomplishment is to continue to drive forward and conquer. Uh, And their position is to um, convert as many people. And if they don't convert through force, then they will be executed. And we have seen that time and time again in history with Christians being beheaded amongst other um, religions, even in in the radical sense that they will kill um, homosexuals, throwing them off the tops of roofs, and uh, interestingly enough, a lot of liberals here in the United States, will, uh, you know, show their at one point were showing their support, which just kind of continues to show how um, far deceived these people, uh, not only just in the Islamic faith, but atheists and every other world group are as well. So let's uh, move away from Islamic faith 
and uh, we're going to tackle uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. Yeah, Buddhism. And look at kind of their eschatology. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different because they're a lot more New Age, very, um, you know, universe-type um, in the sense that it's uh, about appeasing the universe. It's about being one with the universe, the cosmos, and things like that. So, you know, it's pursuing of oneself over, you know, um, with Christianity, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Islam's probably the closer of them in regards to that they actually use the Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier, but they don't um, recognize Christ as sovereign uh, Lord and Savior. So interesting thing about Hinduism is it's a it's an umbrella term for a broad set of traditions. It is difficult to really speak specifically on eschatology as pointing towards a single point um, because all branches uh, of Hinduism uh, name the Vedas text as their authority but they also have different eschatologies even though they go to the the sole source of the of the vedas and i apologize for any hindus out there that i'm butchering this name um i'm not very fluent as you all have known from prior podcasts in eastern middle eastern uh languages and pronunciations um but uh in hinduism generally life is understood as moral progress towards an eventual liberation from reincarnation. So in Hinduism, it's it's death and, and reincarnation. And then they look towards the end of times as being the liberation from that, the, the cycle to be broken. Uh, with death acting only as a momentary hiccup between incarnations. Uh, in the same way, there is no ending point of history, no universal resurrection, or judgment that precedes the destruction of time. It just takes you out. It just ends it out of that uh, that cycle. Um, later, uh, Sanskrit texts, particularly the uh, Puranas, outline a more precise pattern of the universe's creations and destructions than the uh, the Vedas do. According to the uh, Purunas, the universe is itself a living being, and so like other beings, the universe is born, lives, and dies. The universe begins as a golden egg floating in the sea until Brahma awakes and cracks it open, which releases the earth and the seven heavens and the seven underworlds. Then the clock begins, watched over by Brahma uh, in his guise of Vishnu. The universe's life follows a pattern of four ages, or yugas, separated by brief periods of twilight. The first yuga, the age of truth, is a golden age. It is populated by a serene people and gift-giving trees. I'll let that sink in for a minute. Imperfections appear in the next age, though life is still pretty good. Uh, this is an increment weather. Um, the rain becomes uh, comes to fertilize crops and covers the earth with blossoms. This age is followed by uh, a yuga of further decline in which suffering, disease, and death become accepted periods of existence. The fourth and last yuga manages uh, only a comparatively short period of dissension, war, strife, short lifespans, materialism, 
right? Uh, an immortality. So, uh, and this is obviously sought after as the present age. Um, and so many are thinking that Brahma is, is going to come back and uh, end everything. Uh, the horizon will burst into flames, then seven or 12 suns appear, dying, drying up the seas and scorching the earth. The, sun, the sky then dumps the water back on the earth in a 12-year rainstorm that drowns the universe. Slated Vishnu falls, a seed of Vishnu falls asleep, leaving the golden cosmic egg to drift expediently into a primordial sea until he awakens as Brahma and starts the process all over again into infinity. So these are all just sources brought out of their writings. This is what they believe in regards to how the cycles will occur. So one thing to really uh, kind of consider with this, obviously we talked about how the cycle happens. Um, is that many consider time to not exist as much as like in the sense that the Western uh, traditions do. Um, Hindus will always see this cycle as ongoing. Uh, it's a cycle of birth, growth, de- uh, decay, death, and renewal uh, at an individual level. And then that also uh, has effect into the cosmetic, uh, cosmic level as well. So the universe will always be kind of re- re- being reborn. So an interesting perspective, obviously... Didn't spend on a, a, as much time as we did on Islam. Um, Hindus, again, are, uh, have a lot of influence today in, on New Age. Uh, and so there's a lot of people out there that uh, do great work at discussing the Hinduism and New Age, uh, you know, becoming part of this cosmic universe of, you know, chai or whatever term they want to throw on it. So I encourage you to go listen to those. Again, primarily this point is solely to uh, understand these eschatologies. And uh, Hinduism is just a very simple um, description. Obviously, there's probably much more to it in regards to how these things would kind of unfold, the, you know, the, how each yuga uh, lapses and a new one starts. Uh, but those are uh, not anything that I'm going to dig into on this episode. So our final... Uh, Religion we're going to look at is Buddhism. I caught myself there. (laughs) I feel awful for airing this episode as I can't pronounce words right. So forgive me, please. Um, So Buddhist eschatology derives from Buddha's prediction that his teachings would disappear after 500 years. Uh, According to the Sutta uh, Pikata, the Ten Moral Courses of Conduct will disappear and people will follow the 10 amoral concepts of theft, violence, murder, and lying, evil speaking, adultery, abusive, and idle talk, covetedness and ill will, Walton, greed, and perverted uh, lust, resulting in skyrocketing poverty and the end of worldly laws of true uh, drama, similar to the Hindu eschatological predictions. During the Middle Ages, uh, this span of time is actually expanded to 5,000 years. Uh, commentators um, predict that a step-by-step disappearance of Buddhist teachings. And during the first stage, uh, they, um, arahats would no longer appear in the world. Later, the content of Buddha's true teachings would vanish, and only their form would be preserved. Finally, uh, even the form of the uh, Dharma would be forgotten during this 
final stage, the memory of Buddha himself is forgotten. And the last of his relics are gathered together and, uh, and are cremated. Sometime following this development of uh, a new Buddha will, be, will arise to renew the t- teachings of Buddhism and rediscover the path to nirvana. Uh, this new Buddhist or Buddha will believe uh, and reside in, or he currently resides in uh, one of their heavens, and he's waiting for his final rebirth in the world. Uh, the decline of Buddhism in the world, its eventual reestablishment, um, are keeping in general shape with the Buddhist cosmology. Uh, like Hindus, uh, Buddhists generally accept uh, or and believe in a cycle of creation and destruction, of which the current epoch represents only the last step. The historical uh, Buddha uh, is only the last of the series of uh, Buddhas that stretch um, that stretches back into the past. So, again, with Hindus um, and much of many world religions, even Christianity, uh, would hold to this in in some of the views is that because of the decline of moral downfall, we all uh, visit or we are all in this last stage. We are all just awaiting for what we believe is going to happen. Uh, the belief in the decline and appearance of uh, Buddhism in the world has exerted significant influence in the development of Buddhism since the time of Buddha. Uh, and some of the various forms they use Tantra, uh, the use of Tantra is justified by the ge- degenerate state in the present world and East, Af- uh, East Asia belief and the decline of the drama. Also, called uh, Mapo in Japanese, which is interesting, is instrumental in the emergence of the Pure Land uh, Buddhism. So not a lot uh, in regards to you know, the actual uh, belief itself. There's, there's still a lot of <coughs> information that is out there, but most of the things that I've been trying to dig up reside in um, books and things like that, that uh, I just don't have immediate access to. Uh, There's some stuff on Wikipedia. I don't care for Wikipedia as a source. I want to go to, you know, uh, articles that have, um, that point directly towards a source or use source materials for its arguments. I want to look at those sources. Uh, And to look at uh, Buddhist understanding of the end of times has proven honestly to be quite a challenge for me. Uh, it's probably one of the hardest ones, I think, in regards to doing this uh, this episode. Uh, I just come up with very, very little in in regards to, like, um, do they have a formulated uh, end-of-the-times type um, view? So as I'm kind of doing a little more digging, and I took, actually had paused this recording to try to pull up just a few pieces... Uh, and I want to kind of read through one of this ar- these articles that I came across again because I want to try to represent these positions as best as possible. Um, but uh, Buddhists, like I said, seem to have been the hardest one for me to dig up. But uh, uh, in regards to their es- uh, eschatology, they incorporate various doctrines. Uh, one Buddhist metaphor speaks 
on afterlife as a passage into heaven or hell or another human existence, so that reincarnation. Uh, the individual's uh, destiny is uh, determined by karma and its effects of his deeds. So whatever you do in this life uh, determines how you will be reincarnated in the next. Uh, this passage sometimes is represented as a judgment presided over by a divine figure. Uh, there is no single day of judgment in, in most Buddhist sects. Uh, heavens and hells are usually temporary states until an individual is co-signed to another rebirth. The goal is uh, to escape suffering and attain nirvana, a condition beyond being or non-being. Uh, Buddhism contains varying notions of a survivor, uh, I'm sorry, of a savior. A, the historical Buddha, uh, Guat, Guatemala, lived some 2,500 years ago. As time passes, uh, Buddhism does decline, as we said, at the end of 5,000 years. Uh, we, know, we noted earlier that uh, those relics will be burned and uh, Buddha will be forgotten about. So nothing really in regards to uh, you know, a, a definite es eschatological understanding. So we have to be you know, cognizant of that when we are viewing uh, this particular tradition. So that is uh, the three major religions in a nutshell. Uh, we will start digging into some of the Old Testament understanding of uh, the end of times. Uh, and, I, and I think I'm going to take a bit of a different approach with this. Um, I think I recorded it on my email show. I hope I'm not regurgitating it again, but I want to look at Genesis and I want to kind, kind of start to talk about God's uh, redemptive plan and why uh, eschatology should be a topic Christians should study. It shouldn't be one that we sit and debate endlessly over, but I think it could be a topic that we can most certainly uh, invest a little bit of time to read, understand, and polish up on. And I hope this series gives us that uh, opportunity to do so. So, um, so we talked about pagans last episode. We talked about uh, Islam, Hindus, and Buddhists on this one. And uh, we're going to dig into the uh, um, Old Testament scripture next week. So, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you hanging out with me today. And uh, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to DM me. I am reformed underscore lifestyle on Instagram. You can also find me on Facebook, Alex Zink. Uh, or you can send me friend requests or follow my Instagram slash Facebook page uh, that's under my first last name. Uh, that just is kind of a site where all my Instagram posts go to. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't really, I'm not super active there. I just kind of like and reshare a bunch of stuff. I do occasionally engage in some conversations, but I try to be very uh, behind the scenes. Twitter's a mess. Other than that, uh, check out our website, undyinglight.org. Uh, as Hopefully, in the future, I take the shift more into full-time ministry. I will be writing more blogs and getting more articles posted. Right now, we're just kind of focusing on guest articles, uh, but we will be putting up more content as uh, the the year progresses. And as always, we will, um, for the most part, always have a Friday morning podcast release. Uh, as of right now, we are slated all the way into the end of October, which is a great blessing. I hope to... Um, get the November recordings done here in a couple of weeks as well. And uh, uh, then we're going to do a Christmas series over Christmas. So 
that's uh, the wrap up. So you can uh, follow this podcast on Spotify or iTunes, or I think I'm on other stuff too. I also found out Amazon Music has uh, podcasts as well. So depending on where you listen to, if you have an Amazon Music subscription, you'll find us there as well. Uh, both podcasts, A Matter of Truth and Undying Lighter, on Amazon Music. That's a really neat thing. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, please share this with your family, your friends, and uh, your church. Even if you guys are doing a series on eschatol- uh, eschatology, I'd love to um, lend my my uh, voice in that. Uh, I know some of my listeners actually have used this in uh, some teachings with their kids, so I think that's uh, that's a tremendous blessing. Um, that just makes it that much more important for me to be uh, on point and key as I unpack uh, these topics for you. So until next week, guys, God bless, and we will see you later. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.